Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm David Walker, and today on the podcast, we're continuing our series where we look at the Falcons' 2021 roster. Today, yes, today we switch over to the defense after talking about the offense uh, over the past several podcasts, and we're talking about the unit that arguably uh, is causing the most consternation amongst Falcons fans. Of course, I'm talking about the front, the 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 trenches, the defensive line. And uh, if we're going to have the weeping and gnashing of teeth, talking about the Falcons defense, uh, there was no other guest I wanted to have on the show to talk about this than the one and only uh, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, uh, Aaron Freeman. Aaron, thanks for joining me. No problem, D.W. Always uh, happy to go on somebody else's podcast and complain about the Falcons. <laughs> Well, this is a great topic to do it with. Um, let's dive right in. I want to start with uh, the guys up front, and this is a little bit, you know, difficult to um, talk about because it's it's painful. It, it sort of feels like one guy and then a whole bunch of other guys that are either quote unquote have potential or um, or you know just jags, just another guy. Obviously, it starts with Grady Jarrett. Um, he is uh, inarguably one of the best interior defensive linemen in the league right now. He's really gotten better every year he's been in Atlanta, um, but he feels like it's it's just him. Um, do you feel like – and one of the things uh, we've heard this offseason from some fans, and I want to see what your take is on this, is that maybe Jarrett, isn't the right fit for the P's defense. I don't personally buy into that because I think a good defensive coordinator figures out how to use the best talent he has on his defense. Um, but what is your what are your thoughts on Jarrett, his fit with Dean P's, and what he really means to this defensive line? Well, look, if, if Grady Jarrett can't fit within Dean P's defense, that's an indictment less on Grady Jarrett and more indictment that's, on Dean P's. Absolutely. I, I think is what you're getting at. And we, we saw Dean P's have success in Tennessee with a player similar to Grady Jarrett or Jarrell Casey. Mm -hmm. So it's not any sort of notion where a sort of penetrating three tech like a Grady Jarrett and Jarrell Casey and, and Grady Jarrett's games are remarkably similar uh, when you sort of look at them uh, in terms of what they can do both as run defenders and pass rushers. Mm -hmm. So it is one of those things where I feel like that concern is, is not a, a major one, uh, at least for me, moving forward. Dean Peace will certainly a, adapt his system to be able to feature Grady Jarrett in a lot of ways. And this is something I've talked about a lot on Lockdown Falcons, where because I think so much of the conversation, I think, unfortunately, has been, you know, three, four versus four, three. Right. Right. Uh, and that has been, you know, and 
back in the day, you know, 15 years ago, that was a big deal. That was a massive switch for a defense to make. But, you know, teams have been making that switch pretty consistently over the last several years because so many teams have been running hybrid fronts. The Falcons have been running a hybrid front for pretty much right. the entirety of Dan Quinn's uh, tenure and incorporating probably a little bit more explicit three, four looks in their defense the last couple of years. So th- that notion, I think, can get a little bit overplayed because nowadays most teams have these sort of hybrid fronts and you do, you're not running a classic three, four where you're looking, you know, like the Steelers are probably the closest team to running a classic three, four, but even they don't run a classic three, four like <laughs> they used to uh, back in the day. Um, so it, it's just one of those things where like, I think that concern specifically in regards to Grady Jarrett is probably a little bit overstated. And would you agree that right now uh, with where Jarrett as Jarrett is at in his career, that he's, uh, I mean, he's definitely our best defensive lineman. I think that's, that's no question, but do you feel like he is uh, you know, one of the top 10 interior defensive linemen in the NFL right now? Yes. Uh, I know some uh, various uh, video games may not agree with that. Um, <laughs> I know. ESPN did a, a thing, and I think Grady Jarrett was like ninth on that list or, or something on their sort of com- combination rankings among NFL executives or whatever the case may be. But I, I would certainly say he's definitely in the conversation um, right after Aaron Donald. Uh, I think right. probably most people would put Chris Jones in that number two. And then I think you can start making the, a, a strong case for Grady Jarrett beginning at sort of the third best interior defensive lineman in the league. I know Cameron Hayward uh, from the Steelers has, has been getting a lot of that love this past year coming off the season. Yeah, but, you know, mm-hmm. certainly in the, in the top three to five, I think Grady Jarrett definitely belongs in that conversation and definitely in the top 10. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. And as you noted, uh, and I feel similarly, if Dean Pease can't figure out how to use a guy like that in his defense, then that's a Dean Pease defense issue, not a Grady Jarrett issue. Um, it, you know, maybe in the past, like you said, with with defenses that were strictly three four versus four three, that would be a distinction that would matter. Um, that just is not the case, especially with defenses playing so much uh, in you know sub packages, whether it's nickel or dime. Um, that all goes out the window, anyways. And I think you know what is it, 40, 50, 60 percent is in sub packages, I, I believe, and it may even be higher than that. Um, so it completely renders that conversation sort of moot. Um, the next player I want to bring up, because his name has been showing up a lot uh, in this first week of training camp, uh, a guy that last year uh, had probably the hardest uh, road for a rookie that you could have, um, that was uh, Marlon Davidson, who was, you know, our, I believe we were our second round pick in 2020. He, had, he came in with a lot of promise, um, you know, big bodied guy, 6'3", 303. Um, and obviously had a, a ton of attitude that I think the, the fans love to cling to when it comes to players like that. Um, but first of all, you know, he missed uh, most of training camp. He had some knee injuries last year. He went on a COVID list for uh, a period of time, started playing again, had more more knee injuries. And even in a recent interview said that, you know, he, he had taken some things for granted. What is your take on, on Davison? Because I believe a lot of people are looking at him and thinking, all right, this is a guy we really need to take a step forward if this defensive line is going to have any hope of being a decent unit. Uh, is is he one of the guys that you think is sort of the wild card here that is going to make or break this defensive line? Yeah, I think, you know, we'll probably talk about Dante Fowler a little bit later, mm-hmm. but like Grady Jarrett, I think Dante Fowler is kind of a known commodity 
Now, you know, there is a little bit more flexibility given the season that Dante Fowler is coming off of, which was disappointing in the season he had the year prior where it was his best season. So there's some right. wiggle room in there. But you you kind of know, you know, based off of being in the NFL for four or five years, you know what Dante Fowler kind of is at a minimum at the very least, you know. Right. Um, you, we don't quite know that with Marlon Davidson. And so I do think it is fair to sort of look at him as an X factor that – you know, how good this pass rush can be. You you look at this front and you're you're sitting there saying, like, who are the guys that you look at and say this guy has the potential to, you know, really harass quarterbacks uh in this league? And Marlon Davidson after Dante Fowler and Grady Jarrett is the the first name on that list. Mm-hmm. And given we didn't really see any thing from him as a pass rusher last year we did you know he had maybe like three games as you just outlined where he was healthy and he made an impact against the run in those games but he didn't do anything as a pass rusher in those games which was kind of the flip-flop of at least my expectation of marlon davidson in college at auburn where he was a good pass rusher but really wasn't going to bring a whole lot to the table as a run defender um and so the expectation for him last year was you know in those sub packages that you're referring to that teams are now 60 70% of the time in or more um that th- that was where Marlon Davidson would make his hay as a rookie and we didn't see that and mm-hmm. so now those expectations kind of you know teleport to this season and uh you know I think based off of the buzz I've heard so far in training camp you know it's a promising sign but ultimately in- until we get to see him in a game, you know, healthy uh, this summer in the preseason. And then of course, later in in the regular season, we really don't know what he's going to be. Could he be this sort of, you know, I'm not expecting him to, you know, basically be uh, Cameron Hayward or or the Stefan to it to Grady Jarrett's Cameron Hayward or anything like that, you know, going into his second year, but certainly a guy that can provide some juice, you know, I guess for me, if to, put a more recent expectation on what I'm kind of hoping out of Marlon Davidson is similar to what Jack Crawford was in 2018 when he was sort of the Falcons other pass rusher with Grady Jarrett and and Tack McKinley was their, their other main guy on the outside sort of stepping into that Dante Fowler, like uh, void for this year's team. And and Jack Crawford gave the team decent production, you know, Mm -hmm. as an interior rusher, uh, you know, not nearly as good as Grady Jarrett, but certainly a guy that made a, a handful of plays that season. I think he had like four or five, sacks that year and so that's kind of what i'm hoping for marlon davidson this year and then if he can do that he can live up to that that's something that he can build off for the future and and be a long-term asset for this falcon team but if he comes well below that if if he's looking more like what jack crawford was in his first year in atlanta which (laughs) as people may recall i think he played four games then got hurt again um you know like that's not a you know again not to sit here and write off marlon davidson at that point in time but it would not be what the Falcons need from him and certainly from a second round pick to have two sort of injury marred seasons, or even if he's healthy this year to have that sort of impact where it's basically, you know, four, he might as well have only played four games because he was a non-factor right? the other 12 or, or, or 15, 13. Now I can't do math um, with the 17 game season, but uh, yeah. So, you know, Marlon Davidson is, is kind of this X factor where it's like, he could be a huge asset for this Falcons defense moving forward, or he could just kind of be, just the guy. Yeah. Invisible. <laughs> like he was last year. Um, now I, I'm with you. And I, I feel like he is, uh, if you're going to put any hope that this Falcons uh, pass rush is going to be decent at all um, past sort of, I think the overblown expectation that Dean Pease is going to fix everything. Um, it, it's going to have to come from guys like Marlon Davidson. And we will talk about down to Fowler in a little bit, uh, but that, your point is taken. Uh, it, D- Davidson is not, 
he's a wild card. We we just don't know. You know, we we haven't we haven't seen anything one way or the other that gives us a strong indication. So reports from camp, you know, they 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 can be wildly erratic. Uh, and I would also caution anyone who's listening. Uh, if you hear about you know one or two great plays in camp, that is not an indicator of what they will do in the regular season. Uh, we have we have seen that way too many times. I've uh, seen way too many wide receivers who were the next Julio who didn't even make the roster. Um, so training camp can be a, the great deceiver. All right, there's another guy on this list. I think a lot of people thought, okay, he may get cut. Um, he is. I, I feel like he doesn't get necessarily the respect he deserves for the job he's done. Um, he's not asked to do a whole lot, but what he does, he does well. And that's Tyler Davison. Um, he was a guy that, you know, we, we, we pulled him off the saints and I feel like he's just done his job. He's not a pass rusher. Um, he is not going to be, you know, Grady Jarrett 2.0. Um, am I being too simplistic with this or do you feel like Davison maybe doesn't get the respect he deserves either? Well, I, I think you're right in the sense because Davidson's a run defender. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've interacted with Falcon fans for a very long time. I've interacted with Falcon fans for a very long time. And for most, you know, defensive linemen, you're only as good as how many sacks you get right. for a lot of, lot of Falcon fans. So, you know, for, for a lot of Falcon fans, Tyler Davidson might as well not exist because yeah. he's never going to be a guy that gets sacks. Um, and so I think that causes some people to overlook his value because, again, people forget that, you know, 45% of offense is not rushing the quarterback. And getting sacks, it's stopping the run. Mm-hmm. And that's really where Tyler Davidson makes his hay. And he's been solid at that. He hasn't, you know, you, you're not going to build a wing of the uh, hall, hall of Fame for him, <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of his ability as a run defender. He's not, you know, life changing, you know, or anything like that. You, you can go through a long list of other Falcons defensive tackles that were just as good, if not better against the run than he has been these last couple of years. If you go throughout the last decade of Falcons history or more. Uh, So in that regard, like, you know, Tyler Davidson's not anything sexy or special or anything like that, but he's a solid role player. And and you need that on your defensive line when you're regularly going to be rotating, you know, eight or so guys in there to keep everybody fresh. Some of those guys are going to have to take snaps on rundowns and, and give you plus value there. And I think Tyler Davidson does that. Um, but, you know, it's not going to be as sexy and, and, and be as splashy as it is with other players that are sort of like, you know, these black holes in the, in the middle of the defensive line, like a, like a snacks Harrison or something like that, just sucking up all, all the run and whatnot. So Tyler Davidson's not going to be that guy, but like, I, I think he's solid. You know, I don't spend too much time worrying about Tyler Davidson or, or thinking about Tyler Davidson just because I like, I know <laughs> what he's going to be like, you know, it's just yeah, like, exactly one of, like he's going to be fine. He's going to do his job and that's it. Like, that's all I need him to do. And it's really my concern about the Falcons defensive line is always about are the other players out there going to do their jobs? I don't, I don't worry about Tyler Davidson in that regard. Yeah. He, I, you said it perfectly. It's all about the sacks. And I, again, I, I feel like that is usually where fans go and I understand it. it it's the sexy stat. Uh, it's the one everyone looks at. Um, but at the same time, he plays his role and and he does a fairly decent job at it. And that's about all you can ask when you start getting into the depth of the defensive line, especially when you start looking at guys who um, you know have played and have been liabilities like that. You at least want to have a guy that you can plug in there and you know, most of the time he's going to do what he's been asked to do instead of uh, being a run defender and, you know, literally uh, never tackling a guy or, or clogging a lane. Uh, we've seen that before too. Uh, all right. There's another name on this list and I don't want to spend a ton of time on him because I've, 
I don't, well, I'm going to get your take on this. I feel like he may not be long for this roster at this point. Um, and he came in, I think fans, uh, and I got caught up in it too, thought, okay, this guy, you know, maybe he's going to turn into something uh, if he gets the right opportunities and, and can hit his potential. Um, and that's Deidre and Snot. He won't, he won't even be in training camp. He's on the pup list, upper body injury. They haven't really uh, said what the nature of that is. He has never lived up to that. Um, he, he's, you know, gotten a few snaps in a few games. He's mostly been benched. It was, you know, with the previous regime. So take that for what you will. Um, but I, I feel like there's, there's a chance that he won't even make the roster this year. There was a chance last year. And I think he sort of squeezed in um, regardless. What's your take on Snot and his likelihood of even being a Falcon in 2021? Yeah, I mean, this has been, you know, w- once the team cut Edo Smith, you know, sort of unceremoniously this offseason, mm-hmm. it was like, hmm, you know, some of these 2018 draft picks are, are going to be hard pressed to make the team, um, especially when you consider that of the 2018 class, other than Calvin Ridley, you can make a pretty compelling argument that Edo Smith contributed more to the 2020 Falcons than anybody else in that draft class. And he still got cut. Um, so it was one of those things where it was like, hmm, I don't know about Deidre Sinat. You know, I, I think given where he kind of fell out of favor was talking about Tyler Davidson, giving you a little bit more of that sort of two gapping um, nose tackle that the Falcons were looking for as they shifted more towards a sort of classic, quote unquote, classic three, four look these last couple of years. And Deidre Sonata didn't really fit that description. I still think Deidre Sonata's a good player. I just don't think Atlanta was the ideal place for him mm-hmm. to to get his opportunity. I think in a lot of ways, he was probably a little bit overhyped coming in in that 2018 draft class because we knew that the Falcons had a massive need at that D-tackle position. And I think people kind of made Deidre Sonata to be more than what he was just to kind of fill the void that the Falcons obviously had at that position, which, you know, tends to happen. You know, people did the same thing with John Kaminsky, where the yep. Falcons needed a pass rusher. And it's like, oh, this John Kaminsky guy could be something. So I was like, mm, probably not. Uh, not as far as uh, people's hopes and dreams as, as far as the Falcons pass rush goes, but maybe in other contrib- uh, contributing ways. And we might get into that later. Yep. But, uh, you know, I just think with Deidre Sonata, it just wasn't a great opportunity for him. Um, and I think he can still be a solid contributor, a solid rotational piece in this league, but it's probably not going to be in Atlanta, as you say. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the next name I wanted to talk about. It was John Kaminsky. Um, and, and the thing I find funny about him, Aaron, is uh, the the hype around him uh, being from a small school, uh, being a, you know, one of those guys who's a quote unquote athlete, you know, he, he played quarterback converted over to defense um, in college uh, and, you know, really raw, you hear all that stuff that, you know, people like to put together as the narrative to sort of build him up. The thing I find funny is that the Atlanta Falcons even bought into it last year. Like they were doing hype videos about John Kaminsky. I feel like some people forget that, but I remember seeing these hype videos for him in training camp um, and, and thinking that's, that is a bold move for a guy who was taken in the fourth round and is going into his, you know, his second year in the league. It was very interesting to me because uh, that is not something you've you've seen the team do in the past, and yet I, I still feel like there is some room for Kaminsky to be better and to have a role. Uh, I would liken him to uh, sort of what we got out of Corey Bierman early on, where you know people wanted Corey Bierman to be a, a twelve to sixteen sack guy. He was never going to be that guy, um, but Corey Bierman had a role, and Corey Bierman. I feel like for where he was drafted and what we got out of him, 
was decent value for that kind of player. And I, I feel like if Kaminsky can find that kind of role, even though fans won't love it because they want him to be that 12 to 16 sack guy, I feel like that's a win when you get someone like that out of the fourth round. Am I off base here? Do you feel like uh, Kaminsky is, you know, maybe with fans is going to be held back by the hype, but could still turn into a productive player for, for what we spend on him? Yeah, I think that's a, a fair assessment. For me, my assessment of John, he's he's right on track to where I thought he would be, you know, and I think this speaks to sort of the differing expectations that I had for a John Kaminsky, who when we drafted him, I was comparing him to guys like Jamal Anderson and, and Rasheed Hageman, which, you know, for Falcon fans is triggering uh, because those guys <laughs> didn't quite work out because those guys came in with a lot of hype. But um, fortunately, I think the thing that John Kaminsky has going for him was he was not a first or second round pick like those guys were yep. and was yep. a fourth round pick, although he did come in with some hype. And I think a lot of that is owed to the fact that he did come from a small, small school and nobody really had seen him play. And so when he, I think it was that, um, was it the Hall of Fame game against Denver where he came out and had made a bunch of plays in his first preseason action. And that was everybody's first initial impression with John Kaminsky. And that kind (laughs) of set the bar a little too high. People didn't realize like, oh, he can't play like that's him beating up Denver's like third and fourth string deep offensive linemen. And those aren't the guys that start in NFL games. So like, that's not what you're going to see in the regular season. I think people still have a hard time understanding that the difference between the preseason and the regular season, uh, you know, good players don't play in a preseason. That's, that's, that's usually how it goes. You gotta, you gotta consider that. Um, but like, I think with John Kaminsky, where he is like given those comps to Hageman and Anderson were, you know, say what you will about those guys, but in years three, for those guys, they started to coalesce into the best versions of the players that they wound up being. Mm-hmm. And those weren't the superstars. That wasn't for Hageman, the next Richard Seymour, for Jamal Anderson. That wasn't the next Mario Williams or whoever people were comparing him to back in the day. It was just like for Anderson, it was a solid run defender that could get you a couple of pressures, uh, you know, a sack or two here or there. I think he had like three sacks in that 2010 season. And for Hageman, we saw down the stretch as the Falcons made their Super Bowl run that year, Hageman, you know, sort of kind of took over for an injured Adrian Claiborne and other players and kind of gave us some positive value as a pass rusher, you know, just bullying guys, you know, late in that season Mm -hmm. um, in the Falcon sub packages. And, and like that for what those guys were always kind of expected to be, that was fine. And I think with John Kaminsky, like, given sort of where I expect him to be, like that's kind of the type of player, like a, a solid rotational player. What we saw, I think particularly early last season, uh, we saw a player that has talent that can play in this league, that can be a contributor that mm-hmm. can give you some value as a pass rusher, give you some value as a run defender. Is he going to be a dominant presence or anything like that? No, but is he going to be a solid role player? And I think, you know, a Croy Beerman comparison is a good one uh, for what John Kaminsky can be, which is a guy that, you know, if he's your fourth or fifth best guy in your rotation, that's that's a decent place for him to be. Ideally, he's like the sixth or seventh guy in your rotation. That usually means that you have a, a pretty deep rotation. But, you know, we're the Falcons. And so, you know, everybody else's sixth or seventh guys are like third or fourth guys. So uh, that's usually how it goes with with that. But, um, yeah, I, I just think John Kaminsky's on track to be, you know, to, to have his quote unquote breakout year this upcoming season. But it may not be the sort of breakout that I think a lot of people are hoping him to be, which is to be more than a rotational piece. Yeah. It, it's if somehow you find a guy in the fourth round that turns into unexpectedly a double digit sack guy, then uh, you know, that's, that is just gravy. 
but I feel like people expect the sacks to, it's either 10 or more or you're a bust. And it's sort of a ridiculous expectation because as you noted, we need guys in the rotation. It can't just be top heavy. We've seen what top heavy teams look like and it's not particularly functional. Um, But if you can have guys that, you know, for Kaminsky can give you four to six sacks um, and and rotate in and, and, you know, be a a decent backup uh, as a part of that interior line that has value in the NFL. Uh, not you're not going to stack the roster with a bunch of Von Millers um, and you're not going to, you know, you can't just be boom or bust. So guys like Kaminsky, I think are important. They have an important role on the defensive line. And I'm with you. I feel like where he's at is uh, about where he should be. And year three is usually where these guys, these guys begin to turn it on. Uh, And I'm interested to see what he does. Uh, I think he's, I think he does have potential, but I I don't think he's going to turn into a double digit sack guy. Um, That is, that's sort of way out of whack, but uh, I would love, I would love for him to prove us wrong. Um, Speaking about sacks, we're going to talk about the guys who are going to be sort of keyed with the pass rush. um, And that's going to start with Dante Fowler. But before we talk about those guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is Dave Walker. I'm joined by Aaron Freeman of the Locked On Falcons Podcast. We're talking about the Falcons defensive line. In the first half, we talked about the interior, those guys that are uh, like Grady Jarrett, Marlon Davidson, uh, John Kaminsky. Let's talk about these quote unquote outside linebackers, um, you know, that they're listed as on the Falcons roster. Uh, and I want to start at the top, Dante Fowler. Uh, right now, he still hasn't practiced. He's on the COVID list. Hopefully, he gets off of that soon. Um, I think uh, Coach Smith has been very clear that Fowler is going to have to earn his playing time. And a part of me believes that he actually means that. Um, Fowler did take a pay cut to stay on the Falcons this year. Uh, it's in my mind, and I want to get your take on this, Aaron, it's sort of a foregone conclusion that Fowler's not going to be back no matter what he does after this season. Um, he, I think he would have to like be the league uh, leader in, in uh, uh, sacks for the Falcons to consider bringing him back. But as it stands, he is, uh, as you mentioned in the first half, probably the second uh, best pass rusher uh, that we have on the defense. Um, and yet here we are, this is a guy that two years ago had, I believe 11 sacks, 11 and a half sacks with the Rams last year, massive disappointment. What are your expectations for Fowler this year? And what would you consider to be a success for Fowler, uh, throwing out all expectations that fans sort of hype on him? Yeah. I mean, if I was to put a number on it, I I would say my expectations are somewhere in that six to eight sack range. And you talk about it earlier where it's like a lot of people don't realize that like six to eight sacks is what a typical starter in the league gets. And I think the perception is, you know, you know, you're only good if you, as you said, get double digit sacks or whatever case may be. So people need to adjust their expectations when it comes to that. When, when you say that someone is just a quote unquote, six and a half sack guy, people (laughs) think that's a slight on the player. And it's like, no, that means he can start in the NFL. He's, you know, 
one of the best players on the planet that, you know, and so, um, but, you know, for me with Dante Fowler is about six to eight sacks is, is probably what I estimate, you know, 40, 50 pressures, I think would be a, a good solid year for him um, in that range. Uh, he's coming off a year where I think he had 30 some odd pressures last year. And a lot mm-hmm. of it was manufactured stuff. A lot of it was stunts or blitzes or whatever the case may be. Not too many instances of him just beating a guy. Um, and I think that's owed a lot to the injuries that he had last year. Dante Fowler's game has always been about his first step quickness and his speed rush. Like he, he's not a guy that has a large repertoire of pass rush moves. He's not going to use a lot of power. He's not going to use a lot of counters and spins and have these great hands and chops and rips <laughs> and all these various, he's not doing all that. He's just, I'm going to, I got a fastball and I'm going to beat you with this fastball. And I think what hurt him last year in particular was all the lower leg injuries that he had, the hamstring stuff, the, ham, the, the knee stuff that he was dealing with or ankle stuff. Um, and that prevented him from having that first step of explosion to be able to throw his fastball. Yep. And that led to, you know, him basically being a non-factor that, you know, you have one pitch and you take away that pitch, you know, you broke your finger or whatever the case may be. You can't throw that fastball. What do you got? You, you know, you're, yeah. people are going to be hitting them changeups all day long. Um, <laughs> so, like, I think that's really the issue with Dante Fowler. So if he's healthy, obviously, given the, the COVID st- stuff again, which he was also dealing with last year, uh, you know, that's not off to the most auspicious start for him. But the hope is that, you know, other than that, uh, he will be healthy for the most part this year. And if that's the case, I think we can expect improvement. But I think if you're expecting him to repeat what he did in 2019 with the Rams, uh, you know, I think you're probably being a little bit um, optimistic. Let's say I won't say naive. (laughs) I'll say optimistic, thinking that he'll he'll live up to that expectation, um, because we know a lot of that was boosted by the Aaron Donald effect. We saw that happen with Leonard Floyd last year. Uh, and led him to get paid a lot of money. Good luck with that, Rams. Um, but, uh, you know, well, he he does get the chance to play with Aaron Donald still, so it may not be as bad an investment as I'm making it seem like. But, uh, yeah, I think Dante Fowler will be better this year, but, uh, you know, I don't know if better equals good, I guess, yeah. from a lot of fans' perspective, because I think a lot of fans, now there's even more pressure on Dante Fowler to be, you know, the anti Vic Beasley, which is to basically get all the sacks that Vic Beasley did not get these last couple of years uh, or attack <laughs> McKinley these last couple of years, which, you know, is pretty much all the sacks, you know, he'd have right. a 35 sack season or something like that to live up to those <laughs> expectations. But, um, you know, unfortunately for Dante Fowler, he's not going to necessarily do that, but, you know, hopefully he puts the best foot forward. Cause as you say, chances are pretty high. I think, you know, I think part of his restructure was to void next year's, uh, contract uh so he does become a free agent after the season mm-hmm. so you know it, it's obviously in his best interest to have as good a season as he possibly can have so that somebody else will be uh asked to pay him yeah <laughs> and that's uh i hate it for fowler i feel like he he did get uh, sort of a uh a bad rap after last year he was injured he's still young he's 27 you know it if another team does sign him they're still getting a a player who is going to be in his physical prime at least um, but I'm, I'm with you. I feel like, okay, six to eight sacks. I, I feel like for what we're currently paying him, not the original contract, which was an abomination, um, but for what we're currently paying him, eh, it's, it's ballpark. It's in the, the market range for six to eight sacks for a guy who's going to be your, one of your better pass rushers on, on the team. Um, it, it's not necessarily a guy who's going to be a game changer, but I, you know, if you expect him to be a game changer on a pass rush at this point, you haven't been watching a whole lot of Dante Fowler. Uh, so, and for what it's worth, you know, it's one year. 
And if he doesn't work out, then we're done. And, you know, that will be one of the last uh, terrible signings of the Dimitrov era that we'll have to deal with. Um, and, and thankfully, I, I do think the injury was a big part of that. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, great uh, analogy with the, the fastball pitcher. Uh, if you take that away from him, that's uh, it's going to cripple his, his production. So hopefully this year he's going to come into camp healthy once he gets uh, off the COVID list. Um, and hopefully he gets off that list sooner or else I'm going to be a little bit concerned. Uh, let's talk about some of the other guys who are also going to be expected to be uh, a part of that pass rush. Uh, two names in particular. I don't want to get too deep because there's there's some guys I'm not even sure are going to make the roster. Um, but the last two names I sort of want to talk about, Stephen Means and Jacob Tuioti Mariner, uh, whose last name I think I've finally, for the first time, uh, have pronounced correctly on the podcast. Uh, let's start with Stephen Means because I think we picked him up from Philadelphia, if I remember right. Uh, he's a veteran. He's 30 years old. He's been in the league for you know seven years now. Um, what do you think he has to offer this defensive line this year? Yeah, I think when you look at Dean Pease's defense and the, the way I've sort of likened it is like Dean Pease has had a lot of success, whether it was in Baltimore or Tennessee, having a sort of designated pass rusher, you know, mm-hmm. in, in Tennessee, that was Cameron Wake in 2019 and Baltimore, it was Elvis Dumervinville opposite Terrell Suggs, right? So a guy that, you know, uh, to... Falcon fans, think of what Dwight Freeney was uh, for us in 2016, where a guy that's his job is just to basically come in on third downs and, and be a designated pass rusher. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the Falcons roster right now, they don't really have that, right? Like Dante Fowler is their main edge rusher, but he's basically going to be our Terrell Suggs, our uh, um, Harold Landry uh, in that regard to use past DMPs players. Um, and who's going to be the guy that's going to be that pass rush specialist. And right now, Stephen means is, is probably the best option for the Falcons, which is part of the reason why, you know, the outlook doesn't look as rosy. Um, you know, Stephen means is a solid player, but, you know, spent several years in Philadelphia, you know, pr- being productive in the preseason, but never quite good enough to crack their rotation, but we know for many years, Philadelphia has had one of the deepest D lines in the world. So that's not a uh, huge negative against Stephen means. Um, But, you know, I I think last year he showed that he was a competent rotational player, but again, Stephen means is one of those players that should be like the fifth or sixth guy in your rotation. And unfortunately, because of all the injuries that the Falcons were dealing with up front, he kind of had to be the third guy in their rotation. And he's just not that dude. And so I think this year, Given the expectations that you, if you can get healthy years from Fowler and Jared and Kaminsky and Davidson and all these guys, Stephen Means can sort of step in and sort of be the most polished of the remaining pass rushers beyond Dante Fowler on the edge um, and give you some value there. But obviously, you know, when we're comparing him to players like Elvis Dumerville, who at one point led the NFL in sacks and unlike Vic Beasley, you know, wasn't a outlier type of season for him. Um, and, you know, Cameron Wake, who's one of the more prolific pass rushers uh, in NFL history over the last decade plus, uh, you know, Stephen Means not going to live up to those shoes. So I, I feel like Stephen Means is, is, is a good, solid player, but uh, I, I think clearly there's room for improvement there from a, a team standpoint with the Falcons where they could get someone who, who may be a little bit more proven, a little bit more better. Because he means to come off his most productive year as a pass rusher in the NFL. And I think he had like 23 pressures last year. You know, so <laughs> like ideally you want that player, you know, that fourth guy in your rotation to be getting you 40, 50 pressure. So right. two Double or three that. times. Yeah. Uh, what we got from Stephen Means last year. And again, 
that was with Stephen Means probably playing the most he's ever played, which you don't necessarily assume will be a repeat this year. So you're looking at kind of a 15, 20 pressure guy, you know, for a spot where you kind of want, you know, double or triple that. Yeah, he's and this feels like the story now with the Falcons defensive line. You know, we've got a great player at the top, but then you have you start getting into uh, guys that do have value. You know, again, sort of like Kaminsky and in, in the conversation we had there earlier. These are guys that have value. They're, they're not guys that necessarily should be on the street. Um, but like the Falcons have a bunch of guys who should be deeper in the rotation who are early in the rotation. And I think that's the, that is sort of the rub with the defensive line. You've got one guy who is worth all the money and you've got a bunch of guys who should be, you know, t- three or four spots back on the defensive line rotation. And yet they're like number two, number three, number four, instead of being number five, number six, number seven. And I feel like that's where we're, we're sort of hitting a quality issue with the, the total depth of this defensive line. It just falls off precipitously after Grady Jarrett with the, again, the wild card of Marlon Davidson. Um, the other name that I mentioned previously, Jacob Tuyo T Mariner. Again, I, I feel like number I'm two. really number two. Uh, <laughs> and this, he's a player that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, spent some time on the Falcons practice squad, uh, has sort of worked his way into the rotation, you know, really had a decent season again for what he was being tasked with last year. Um, and yet he's he's another player that is probably going to get a lot of snaps right now in camp. He's getting, you know, first team snaps uh, simply because of, you know, Fowler being out, but also because of the quality being poor. What do you make of, of Mariner and, and his role as well on this defensive line? Well, you used Croy Beerman earlier to compare with John Kaminsky, but I think Tuioti Mariner. I'm trying, <laughs> yes. I'm trying to go. Yeah, we're trying to keep the streak alive. Um, <laughs> you know, I think his game is very similar to what Croy's was in terms of expectations, in terms of what he could bring to the table mm-hmm. um, going back to the, the Mike Nolan years and whatnot in, in Atlanta with Croy Beerman. I think uh, JTM, uh, that way I can circum. Uh, I like it. Yeah. Um, but I think with him, like he can, he's a solid, again, it's the same conversation we've been having. He's a solid <laughs> role player. He can play the run. He can give you some value as a pass rusher. We, we've seen moments from him as a pass rusher these last couple of years when he's gotten opportunities uh, in, in large part, thanks to injuries, forcing the Falcons to have to play a guy that probably under normal circumstances and probably for a lot of NFL teams, these last couple of years would have been a practice squad player, but for the Falcons, because of the injuries that they've had at defensive end and outside linebacker has been forced into the lineup. Uh, and I think he's done a good job with his opportunities. Again, mm-hmm. he's not a guy that's going to light the world on fire, but if you're just looking for a role player that can set the edge against the run, that can give you a little bit of juice as a pass rusher that is functional in coverage. I know he was a little up and down there last year, but I, I saw some promising signs that, you know, if, given more work in, in that arena, he, like he can improve there. Um, you know, he's, he's just kind of a, a nice solid role player that can also give you positive value on special teams. He was like third in the NFL last year in special team tackles. Yeah. So like he's a solid role player. The problem is again, he probably <laughs> should be like the seventh or eighth guy in a rotation <laughs> that mostly plays special teams. And occasionally when someone needs a breather, Oh, put JTM out there. He'll give you positive reps, you know, for these four or five snaps while we wait on, you know, whoever uh, edge rusher number one or number two uh, to, to get that breather. 
uh, that's what he should be. But unfortunately, as you just mentioned, because we're the Falcons and, you know, he's a starter. <laughs> he's going to be our number two <laughs> pass rusher this year. <laughs> and uh, that's just the way it is. You know, we can't have those things. Uh, <laughs> this is why I brought you on the podcast for this particular uh, topic. The number of times, Aaron, that you and I, in just this short 40 minutes, the number of times you and I have said, oh, you know, he, he's he's a quality role player. He's a quality role player. He's a qual- that is coming up way too much for yeah. this depth chart. And I think again, like I love those role players. That that's how you build out a proper roster. But when those role players are play are punching above their weight, that's where things begin to fall apart. And I love what you know to, to uh, JTM. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, did last year for again for what his role was supposed to be. Uh, but my God, if we're counting on him as you know one of the anchors for our pass rush, this is yeah, it, it doesn't feel like this is going well. Um, so the last name I want to bring up, and you may not have any strong takes. I personally don't. Uh, he's the only other guy I think that's got you know significant uh, playing time in the NFL. Uh, Emmanuel Ellerby. Uh, he's you know outside linebacker. Uh, he seems undersized to me. Uh, maybe I'm reading that wrong, but. Uh, where do you see him fitting in, if at all? Yeah, I mean, when we signed Ellerby or re-signed Ellerby because he was an undrafted free agent from 2018, I had to go back and listen to some podcasts from the summer of 2018 to be like, <laughs> what was I saying about Emmanuel Ellerby? And it wasn't a whole lot to, to say about him because he just didn't necessarily make a huge impression on me that summer uh, combing through my notes and whatnot. Um, so I'll be curious to see if he does get work at outside linebacker. He was an inside linebacker uh, previously. Uh, it's been the bulk of his time playing middle linebacker. And I, for me, I, I guess I'm expecting him to sort of fill the role that Brandon Copeland was expected to fill as a backup inside linebacker. Now that due to the release of Barkevi's Mingo um, and the COVID right. issues with Dante Fowler, it seems like the Falcons are giving Brandon Copeland a little bit more run as an outside linebacker, which is a role that he's previously performed at a reasonably high level. Like when we talk about the lack of proven pass rushers on this team, if you're looking for someone other than Grady Jarrett or Dante Fowler that has had more than like four sacks in a season and more than 30 pressures in a season, Brandon Copeland is the only guy that did it. He did it in 2018 with the Jets mm-hmm. as an outside linebacker in their 3-4 defense. So, again, a guy that previously was our backup middle linebacker now is technically our <laughs> third most proven pass rusher. So, a- again, this becomes a broken record. And it's like, as you say, like the Falcons have le- – like the point is like they have guys that are legit NFL caliber players. Mm-hmm. They just don't have guys that are legit NFL caliber starters i guess you would say in, yeah, in terms yep. of what this group is it's a whole bunch of guys as as you said and as i've said that in a on a norm on a quality defensive line a quality rotation would probably be the fourth through eighth guy in that rotation yeah as opposed to the top three and the falcons just kind of have a one probably in dante fowler what we're realizing is instead of being the two that we paid him to be He's now going to he's really a, like a third or a fourth guy. I mean, when you right. look at his best years uh, elsewhere, he was kind of the third or fourth guy uh, in L.A. Um, and then you're hoping maybe Marlon Davidson goes into that mix. And then you just have a bunch of guys that like, hey, man, if Stephen Means or JTM or, or Emmanuel Ellerby or Brandon Copeland can be a, a halfway decent five, like, look, beggars can't be choosers. And, you know, that's always 
the phrase that I wind up saying when it comes to discuss any discussions of the Falcons pass rush because we're always <laughs> the beggars rather than the choosers. So it is what it is. I, I've gotten used to it. You know, my hope is that next offseason the Falcons will have a little bit more money and we can sort of make this a non-issue moving forward, but we'll see. Yeah, and uh, last name, uh, I brought up LRB, but really uh, the rookie, uh, I think, belongs in this last spot. We'll close out the podcast uh, with this. Uh, Adedokumbo Ogundeji out of Notre Dame. I feel like How I'm, did you get that name better than Jacob? JTM. <laughs> yeah. Even though, as, as I was saying it, I was about to mess it up as well. So I, <laughs> now it makes sense. Okay, never mind. Continue, uh, proceed. Don't ask me to say his name accurately twice in a row. <laughs> I, I, I get tongue-tied, and I apologize to all the players uh, when I do that. Uh, Steven Means, I got your back then. Um, mm-hmm. But Ogundeji, you know, he's, I think there's some expectation, again, unrealistic. He's a fifth rounder. He's a fifth rounder for a reason um, that he's going to step in and, you know, be a part of the rotation. He'll, he'll undoubtedly be a part of the rotation, but for me, I just, I'm, I feel like, okay, he's a rookie, this rookies, pass rushers. Um, it, that is really hit or miss, especially when you're talking about guys who are drafted on day three. Um, what kind of expectations do you think fans should have for Ogundeji as a fifth round uh, outside linebacker for the Falcons this year? My expectations to be blunt about it is that he'll probably be inactive for most of the season Mm -hmm. under normal circumstances. But again, we're talking about the Falcons here. So (laughs) who knows what normal is for them when it comes to their pass rush and they just may need all the help that they can get. Um, So like that would be my normal expectations is like, this is kind of a red shirt year for Ogun Deji. He might get, you know, if there's injuries, you could throw him in there, maybe put him on special teams, get a little cut a little bit of work there, um, but not a whole lot to glean from this rookie season. But as we just laid out, like, you know, what are the Falcons alternatives? Steven Means, <laughs> JTM, Brandon Calipin. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. might as well. If, if, if there's an opportunity to, to see what he can do, might as well get him the reps. I mean, we're, we're talking about JTM, a guy who I mentioned has been on the – wouldn't – on a normal NFL team, a good NFL team, as it were, uh, mm-hmm. not the Falcons, um, <laughs> it would be, you know, a practice squad player. Um, but, you know, he's gotten work and you can say it's improved his development uh, that he's probably further along today in 2021 than he would have been on a quote unquote normal team, uh, just spending all that time on, on the scout team in the practice squad for the last couple of seasons. So maybe you can take the same tack uh, with, Ogundeji and think, look, you know, like it may not necessarily lead to him being this difference maker down the road, but if we can just get a, another sort of solid rotational piece for us and fast track that sooner rather than later by getting him those reps this year that under normal circumstances, he would not get, um, you know, it, it makes sense to me in that regard again, because, you know, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right. With all this talk that we've, we've had, uh, it feels like we should be bringing Babs back for one last season in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, wh- wh- how old is Babs at this point? He's got to be like 40. Right? <laughs> He's probably up there. Yeah, probably yeah. pretty close. Um, so, you know, he probably could come in day one and be probably top three pass rusher on his Falcons defense <laughs> at age 40. So. Um, oh, that's that, that makes me so sad. You know, <laughs> and and it's not the it's I love Babs. Uh, it's the fact that what you said is probably actually really true. Oh yeah. So Aaron, one last question for you, and we wrap this up. Um, do you think the Falcons should look to bolster 
the pass rush uh, in free agency. Um, at this point, I mean, we saw Justin Houston just signed. Uh, he was the name I think many Falcons fans were sort of wa- watching to see you know what he would do. Um, do you think the Falcons should try to bolster it, or at this point, do you think, eh, just just you know check it in because the defense isn't going to be much this year? Look, I'm I'm never going to be against a team trying to improve itself. Um, but so I'm, I would be all for the Falcons trying to upgrade this position to get better at this position, even if it's only slightly better at this position. And obviously you're probably not because of guys like Ingram and and Houston already signing with other teams, you're probably not going to get this big, bold, splashy player. That's a proven pass rusher. That's coming off a, you know, two years ago had 10 sacks or anything like that. You're probably going to have to be miring, uh, you know, monitoring the waiver wire at the end of the summer. And maybe you'll get some developmental guy that, you know, had a halfway decent preseason or something like that. And that's probably the best case scenario. I mean, the guy, the Falcons just picked up to skipper, you know, lit up the, the preseason two years ago and sort mm-hmm. of like, now you're just like, Hey man, you know, do it again. And maybe that'll give us some <laughs> hope for the future. Um, so I, I, I'm not against the Falcons adding a pass rusher, but I also know that the, you know, the pickings may be slim as they say um, moving forward. And so I wouldn't, uh, begrudge them if they don't feel it necessary to make a, a move there. But certainly I'm not going to begrudge the team for trying to improve itself in any way, any shape or form possible. Yeah. Um, does anyone have the number for Dwight Freeney? I, I see he is still, he's just 41 years old. Oh, Maybe, that uh, spin move is eternal. So it, he'll be 65 true. years old and that spin move will still work. You are uh, not lying. That That is the best spin move. Um, <laughs> it was so good. It rubbed off on, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Brooks Reed. There you go. Rubbed off on Brooks Reed while he was here. It was so good. Um, all right, Aaron, uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know uh, we, we had to talk about defensive line. It's it's fun to, to, to rip on the Falcons a little bit. I do think, you know, that they're going to address this position in future draft classes. Uh, but uh, I think it's fair to say that you and I both agree that if you have any like high expectations for this defensive line this year, you should probably let those go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, all right. Why don't you remind our listeners where they can find you and what you have going on? Yeah. People will check me out on Locked on Falcons Monday through Friday, uh, every day. If you want to get 30 minute or now usually about 40 minute, uh, rundown of, of the latest on the Atlanta Falcons and what expectations, you know, it's, not as dour as uh, I usually am. I'm trying to focus on the positives, <laughs> at least for this week. And we're talking about a lot more about players like Kyle Pitts and AJ Terrell, Deion Jones, and, and those things. Some some of the positives uh, of the Falcons, the handful of positives that you can look at this roster and see. Uh, so uh, those are some of the topics that we're going to be discussing on Lockdown Falcons. And of course, people can check me out on Twitter at Falcons. It's F A L C F A N S. Awesome. Um, as for me, guys, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Aaron Freeman of the Locked On Falcons podcast, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.